Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary and author of the new book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady, available from Sophia Institute Press. I am enjoying so much my weekly conversations with different guests about the lessons as we go through the book one by one, person by person. Did you know that you could wear a sock honoring many of the different individuals who are found in How They Love Mary? In the month of June, I'll be talking about St. Therese of Lisieux and St. Kateri Tekakwitha and Fulton Sheen. Those three individuals all have a sock at Sock Religious. And when I talk about St. Faustina, well, she's the visionary who received the Divine Mercy. And you can find a pair of Divine Mercy socks at Sock Religious. Head over to Sock Religious by using the link in the show notes and begin wearing socks for the glory of God and in honor of the saints. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. This interview is taking place in a village called Garamandel in Spain. Today's date is April 23rd. You'll be hearing this on July 2nd as we look at and remember the first apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Garambendal. You might remember a few months ago, I had a wonderful interview with Glenn Hudson, who introduced us to a lot of the Garambendal message. And so today, I'm happy to be speaking with Ed Kelly, who is another strong devotee of Garambendal. He's been coming here for many, many years. And in fact, let me read a little bit of his biography to you. Ed Ed Kelly is a retired high school and college Spanish teacher. His first book, A Walk to Garamandal, is a detailed account of his life in the village starting just three and a half years after the last reported apparition. So we're talking about 1960s. And here we are sitting across from the table together in 2022. So thanks so much for agreeing to have this little conversation, Ed. Thank you, Father, for... (laughs) inviting me to do this. Yeah, you know, they say two Eds are better than one. So you have Father Ed Looney and Ed Kelly here. Maybe the very first thing I want to ask you is, in your bio, as I just mentioned, you came here three and a half years after the final apparition. So what drew you to Garamandel? Why did you come here? I hope the questions don't get any tougher than that one. Oh, boy. Uh, I didn't come for the apparitions. In uh, 65 to 68, I spent, I spent four summers in a row in Mexico and uh, was planning to go back there. And a good friend says, Ed, you like Mexico? You'll love Spain. Well, at that time, there were very economical charter flights for t- less than $200. I spent three months. And I said, well, uh, I'll spend two months in Spain where I speak the language, and a month to see the rest of Europe. Um, Much to my Irish mother, very Catholic families, I didn't have any apparition sites uh, marked. (laughs) But my sister knew somebody that either had been 
to this place called Garabandal or had heard about it. Well, I looked on my map and it was only this far, an inch from where I was going anyway, and if nothing better showed up, I might go up there. <laughs> sure. Uh, I spent two hours here that first day. Oh, oh, I'd walked halfway up the pines. Or no, halfway up the, the three-mile hike from the valley road up to the village, and I got about halfway up, and I saw the pines. And I said, well, that's where these things happen. I've, I'm close enough. And I started back down. <laughs> well, I saw a couple dots coming up that road, and I said, well, I'll wait and test their Spanish. Well, it happened to be an English couple. And uh, more to hear my own language for the first time in 10 days, I came to Ghana. I continued the, the walk up the village, to the village. The man and I said a Hail Mary at the Pines, had dinner, and left. So that was your first visit. And do you remember the date of that first visit? Yeah, it was a, a date that uh, a very a very well-known person had arrived for her first visit, uh, July 2nd. Yeah, uh, this other person arrived exactly eight, eight years earlier. Can you yes. guess who it was? The Blessed Virgin Mary. <laughs> You're pretty good, Father. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, <laughs> as she gives as her name. So you arrived on July 2nd. Were there a lot of people here in the village that day? Was there a huge celebration, or what oh, was it like? a huge celebration. I didn't. I don't remember seeing any other visitors except the man and wife from England and I. Uh, huh. There were years, I believe, when not many visitors came because this. Well, sixty-seven uh, to seventy were the two bishops of this area that were most against Garabandal. The others. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the others, but were neutral, and. Uh, I think it was published in the papers that uh, people shouldn't visit here. So, yeah. So that's why there were just a few people there on that very first day. So you mentioned that you had to walk up this three miles. Uh, and basically it was a mule road is what I understand. So you mentioned the mule road. You had to hike up it. You mentioned it a lot in a walk to Garibandal. And so when did that actually become a road that you could drive up? Uh, actually, Father, uh, they could drive up the road even, I think, when the last apparitions. Cars could come up and that first or second uh, with much difficulty. Um, I mean, tough. I wouldn't have liked to drive it. But uh, Gabino, the taxi cab driver, told me that he had worn out 10 cars just shuffling people from those three miles. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, in 1972, I was here, well, I was here in the area for 10 months. Uh, uh, they started making it into a real road that you could come up easily. And, uh, ooh, many years later, maybe 10 years ago, they widened it even more, made the guardrails and uh, a lot more. Put sidewalks, I think, through Cosillo or... <laughs> So you kind of came to Garamendel, you could almost say by accident. You heard someone tell you about it. You looked at a map, saw it wasn't too far off where you, you were at. But then you came back, you just said, in 1972. And now we're here in 2022. You've been back here since uh, many other times. Uh, what kept you coming back to Garamendel? 
uh, nothing better to do, maybe. <laughs> uh, I came back actually the next year, 70, and spent two weeks here. And it was that time where I heard one woman speak, and I thought, wow. Some, it was, uh, I'd had a magazine in my, in my hand, uh, Santos, and I said to Josefa, the bread seller, in whose house I was staying, there were no, uh, no guest houses until 71. Uh, so people who had an extra room would let you stay in the room. Hmm. And I had a room and three meals a day. Uh, take a guess at the price. Two American dollars, three, four. Wow. <laughs> and now we pay more than that for a cup of coffee. Uh, I asked Josefa, uh, do they ever write anything about Gadamandal in this Catholic magazine? And she said, yes, all against it. And she exploded in anger. What do they mean that these girls were sick and uh, uh, didn't see anything? They're our own nieces. We know them. They were telling. And it was more her expression of uh, her, her emotional reaction than what she said that made me think, wow, something uh, important happened here. I'm going to keep my eyes and ears open and pray a lot. I knew it was more than my finite mind could understand. As you've been coming here for many years now, you've been able to forge friendships, I'm sure. And some of them, weren't they with the visionaries themselves or maybe with some of their family members? Uh, both, yes. I, I met and talked with all of the visionaries, the least with uh, Mari Cruz, who got married the first year I spent any time here in 1970. She was the youngest by a little over one year, and we're the first to get married and the only one to stay in, in the village. And I think it was a, maybe hello. And then we were happened to be in the same dance group where they had dances in the Bolera uh, on the feast days, but that was it. Uh, she happened to be here two weeks ago. And I said, that looked like muddy. Cruise and I had and Lucia or somebody here said yeah and she came up to the Saturday afternoon rosary and was there praying and and I went up to her uh, uh, te acuerdas de mi uh, oh no I started out uh, do you happen to to live in Aviles and she says yes so I knew it was her I said then in Spanish uh, uh, do you recognize me no. <laughs> But I talked more to her that Saturday, maybe three minutes, than I had in all the rest of the time. The others, I had more of a chance to talk, uh, maybe the most with Mari Loli, uh, starting in, oh, that first summer in 69. Uh, I said hello to her, 70, 71, 72. She's, uh, she's stood behind her father's bar serving wine, and uh, her home was a bar. Uh, had three or four little tables where they served meals. I think it was the only place they served meals in the village at that yeah. time. Uh, and kind of a, uh, what, a village store where they sold a few things beside the bar. But it was easy to go in there and order a un vino and, and talk. <laughs> uh, um, what, for those, oh, a couple of, couple of years. Uh, uh, and then with Conchita wasn't living here. 
starting in about 66, she went to school in Burgos, and that um, comes out in Unstoppable Waterfall. The nun was kind of her protector and mentor there in a, in a boarding school in Burgos. And then very shortly after that, she went to Bilbao, well, you probably know the story where she wanted to be a Carmelite nun. And that was ooh, when she was 16, I think, but didn't stay long there. Uh, and very af shortly after that, she went to Bilbao to study to become a nurse. Hmm. Uh, uh, I had the good fortune in 71, I spent three weeks here. And the first guest house was opened by Conchita's elder brother, and his wife, Paquita. Actually, it was kind of funny. Yesterday, uh, as I was walking around the little village, I said, boy, the sun is out. I'm like, I'm going to go up the pines. I had already gone up to the pines earlier in the day, but I said, I should go and enjoy the sun. Maybe I'll bring my notebook. I'll take some notes or write something while I'm up there. And then as I'm walking up, you called my name, and you were at Paquita's house. And so uh, you called me over, and I went into her house. And one of the aspects of the Garibandal apparition was the fact that Our Lady would kiss sacramentals. And so kiss rosaries, kiss wedding rings. And these girls, the visionaries, the four girls were in ecstatic states and trances. And they were able to walk backwards and give back the sacramentals to the people that had given them. Now, Paquita, as I'm in her kitchen, living room, whatever it was, she pulls out a box and she says, this is a rosary that was kissed by our Blessed Mother. And so I was able to, to pick up the rosary. I kissed the cross. I prayed a decade of the rosary actually on it. And so that was a very special moment. And so I'm very grateful that you were able to uh, introduce me to Paquita, who also is the bell ringer for the town, to remind them to pray for the holy souls in purgatory. So you got to know Paquita, who's the, the sister-in-law of Conchita, one of the visionaries uh, here in Garibandal. So how else did you get to know Conchita and her family? Uh, well, where do I start? Uh, after spending three weeks in Maison Serafine, their guest house, uh, Serafine, Conchita's older brother, uh, 15 years older than Conchita, I believe, and since Conchita's father had died when she was very young, six or seven, Serafine was more like her father than her brother. Well, one fine day after three weeks there, Serafine says, Eduardo, cuando, cuando te marchas? When, when are you leaving? Well, I've been thinking about it. Conchita would like to know if you'd like to drive in the taxi with her to Bilbao and share the cab fare. Ooh, <laughs> I thought. Uh, go to the drive with the very attractive 22-year-old <laughs> Conchita. Oh, the Sahara Desert or the moon, anywhere. Sure. So we, uh, we went to, got a, um, to Bilbao. Uh, the details. We got the cabezón, and she says, would you, uh, would you mind if we stop so I can say hello to my aunt and my cousin? Her cousin is the one who's serving us here, Lucy, oh, yeah? and okay. her first cousin. Their mothers were sisters. And, and a, minute, a few minutes later, she says, would you mind if they come along with us for the ride to Bilbao, which they did. We arrived in Bilbao. Uh, they let Conchita and me off, and the others went back to here, 
Cabezon, where they lived, and I, you know, I knew that young girls didn't spend time with you until they knew your family. But I risked it, risked, risked it. Conchita, may I invite you to lunch? Sure. Four hours after our lunch, my plate was still half full. So intrigued with I in talking with this very attractive young girl. Uh, Men, women, and children wanted to be around her. And in my book, I write what some of the reporters said about her. Mm -hmm. One of them, Tico Medina, waiting to talk with her because people would line up to see her to get him to kiss a holy card or something. Uh, he says, in my 25 years as a, a reporter, I've never met anybody that's instilled you with such a respect and uh, and welcome, or I forget his exact words. Uh, in Bilbao, we spent the afternoon together prayed the rosary, went to Mass. There's details of there that might not have enough time to talk about, but uh, quite interesting. After saying the rosary, uh, and she helped me with the Our Father, she said, she said the litany of Loreto by heart. Uh, years later, Jacinta's husband, who Jeff Moynihan, who knows I a lot about Garabandal, and I would I would call him and ask for somebody's name that I wasn't sure of. He told me that his wife Jacinta learned the litany of Loreto after hearing it one time. Oh wow! You can guess from whom. And I when I heard that, I kicked my, myself for not having asked Conchita. How did you learn this? <laughs> I was super surprised because. In the village here in Garabandal, every day there's mass at 11 o'clock. Maybe it's different on Sunday. But at 10.15, they start praying the rosary. And as they pray the rosary, the priest says, it leads it. And he's been leading the litany of Loretto by heart, too. And so I don't think he has a prayer card. He has nothing that he's retrieved. And it just it's a marvel to me that they can remember all those names in order. And uh, it must be a special grace of the village. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that, Father. Well, anyway, uh, phew, interesting details. Uh, we found a place, place where there, in the Jesuit church where there was an evening mass. And there's some interesting details, but probably about that. And, uh, and she left at the, right at the end of mass. She says, I, uh, when they were starting benediction, uh, and I had wondered, you know, why am I so lucky to be able to spend time with this beautiful young girl who had, uh, who had what, seen the Blessed Mother 2,000 times, yeah. you know. Uh, why am I so lucky? And after Mass, the priest started to do something. Uh, and I said, what's he doing? And it was benediction of the Blessed Sacrament that I had, that for a long time, or in America anyway, it wasn't common. Sure, it is now, but yeah, back, there there was a time, a drought of Eucharistic adoration and benediction, well, for sure. Well, when I was 10 and 11 and 12, and my favorite thing was to go to Lincoln Park in West Seattle and play baseball or football with all my friends. But one of the things we did in my family, besides listening to Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen on the radio, mm -hmm. 
was to attend the Rosary and Benediction of the Blessed Sacrament at Holy Rosary Church at 4 o'clock. And I remember, oh, I've got a, here I'm the, I'm the quarterback on our what, <laughs> football team, this pickup food. But it wasn't a big sign. I kind of knew it was worthwhile. And now when I'm hearing, I says, maybe that's the reason I'm so lucky. I certainly hadn't asked when I was at Benediction. I'd probably asked for a new baseball mitt or not to spend time with Conchita. Uh, In the four hours of conversation, did you kind of ask her questions about the apparitions and things like that? Not one word from me asking her questions about that. Sure. She did ask me uh, uh, one or two things, but no, I knew by that time one of the reasons she was leaving, not living in Gadamandal, she had been the center of attraction for what, four years or a little mm-hmm. bit more, and probably knew that wasn't good for her <laughs> and, and didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, at the end, when I saw her off on the train, she says, when are you coming to Barcelona? Here, I'll give you my phone number. And I was going to Madrid to pick up some tailor-made pants. And I thought, well, three or four days. Oh, she says, here, call me. <laughs> so I had the good fortune of spending maybe two and a half days with her uh, in, in Barcelona. But she says, I'm not Conchita in Barcelona. I'm Maria, <laughs> mm. living in incognito. And so I had to practice. Maria, hello, Maria. So I wouldn't give her away. She says, not even the lady, the woman I live with, she was living as, what, uh, in a... Like a little apartment or yeah, hostel and, or something, uh, yeah. Paying rent to getting meals from it. She's not even the lady I live with knows who I am. And she says, recently I saw a Garaband holy card, Garabandal holy card in her missile, but didn't say anything. And she <laughs> says, my best friend, uh, Milagros, doesn't know that I'm Conchita. And pretty soon Milagros arrived, and we did a number of things together, including going to the beach. And... I think on my next trip here, uh, I stopped to say hello to Milagros in Salamanca. And she says, have you heard from Maria? I said, no. She says, she hasn't written me at all. And I told her who she was, Conchita. And she says, I didn't know. I told her she was the visionary of Garabandal. She says, I didn't know that. Only that she was unlike any other girl I had ever met and nobody even close. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, that's thank you for oh yeah. You know, I don't it's know if kind I of expressed that well, but it was she is. There was a, there's something about her that you know. I, I suppose when your life is touched by the Blessed Mother in such a profound way that you're a completely different person when people meet you and encounter you. The same could be said about the Blessed Mother, and Maria of Agreda brings this out in the mystical city of God. Is that when people came in touch with the Blessed Mother in her early life, they may not have known who she was. But they always were left different because of it. So um, I can only imagine for a visionary like that. And that was true, I would say, for all of the different visionaries in our tradition, whether that was uh, um, Francisco Jacinta or Lucia, if it was St. Bernadette. 
you know, St. Bernadette did not want to be the center of attraction uh, in Lourdes. And that's why she went off and joined the, the community in Navarre, France. So the visionaries have this humility. They realize it's not about me, the visionary, but it's really about the Blessed Mother and her message and a call to prayer. And they don't want to get in the way of that. So that is, that is something that's impressive, uh, I would say. Yeah. Um, then a, a little bit about lowly. Um, maybe I'll read this. Uh, Loli was the only visionary I met on my first chance visit to her village on July 2nd, 1969, when she was waiting on table in her family home, bar, small store, and restaurant. In photos of her around the time of the first apparition, shortly after her 12th birthday, you would see a plump-faced seven or eight-year-old rather than a soon-to-be teenager. The villagers said that while she was in an ecstatic trance, she was beautiful, that she looked like an angel. The, oh, wow. Yeah, and the, you have two comparative the, pictures the, the there. The difference. Page 238 of A Walk to Garibandau. The beautiful late oak. Oh, it's not easy to die. Lowly compared the horrifying warning, the warning announced here, to it to dying, saying that we would rather experience the pains of death than go through this warning. The beautiful lady whom Loli came to call my mother and my best friend, who visited often, let the child, Loli, hold her baby and instructed her praying, Santa Maria, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death would certainly hear this prayer of her favorite child and have been near her at the hour of her death. He said that being with the Virgin, uh, well, he didn't say it in these words. Many people said, if you spent so much time with a beautiful, uh, the most beautiful woman ever born, you know, the Blessed Virgin, it, it'd be like her. You kind of, yeah, you uh, learn their man, you'd learn her mannerisms and, and stuff. When I taught in this small college, Our Lady of Corpus Christi and Corpus, uh, many seminarians, it started that way. And one of them said, he said that. Uh, sounds good. But then I asked my friend Fatima, uh, Paquita's youngest of three daughters, and she said, <laughs> she said, no, that wouldn't be it. If that were so, the other girls would have the same attractiveness. And, and they don't. Hmm. And she said it was that because Conchita was the spokesman of the four, was more favored than the others. They weren't, they weren't equally involved. Conchita. And this is, this is an interesting thing that I just read the other day, is that not all of them had visions all, all the years from 61 to 65. They stopped for each one at a certain point. It was only Conchita that continued having those apparitions up until... The, the final one yeah. that she had. And she's correct, Father. Uh, she was the only... Uh, uh, Conchita had many more uh, apparitions and Marie Cruz many less. And the other two, Jacinta and Loli in between. And they stopped for everybody but Conchita after the end of 62, although uh, Marie Loli reported some locutions after that time. Um, and so Fatima said... And, and Conchita's the one that knows the date of the miracle. And, sure. Uh, um, Fatima said that it wasn't that. 
God prepared her in a special way for the special position that she had. Hmm. And that seemed to make sense. Sure. And just like God prepared the Blessed Virgin Mary, too, for, for her role through the Immaculate Conception. It's some pages on the reaction of the people in the village to what they saw. And I kind of sum her up by saying everybody saw the same thing. And uh, I don't know who it was that told me, if you were here in the second half of 1962, it would have been a rare day where you wouldn't have seen these ecstatic reactions of the girls to their vision. You understand that it was the vision. Yeah. It was the girls that saw apparitions, um, the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Michael. And at times the Virgin came with El Chiquitin, the infant. That's interesting, the story. Um, but everybody here saw the what the doctors term unexplainable reactions of these girls. Levitated off the ground, uh, walked forwards, backwards. Uh, the men would tell me they took an ordinary step but moved three times as far as normal. Uh, uh, and you've seen photos of, of these reactions. Um, but even at that, it was my opinion that the, of all the people I talked to in the village and those in the surrounding villages, and in my time here, I made an effort to talk to them. It's my opinion, and others would disagree, that very few of them uh, uh, showed good evidence that they knew that it was a special intervention from heaven to earth, or say, supernatural, and the importance of it. And here I, I'm talking about even the parents of the girls. I think one of them said, well, when I see him in ecstasy, I believe, but then afterwards I don't. Uh. Now, here's um, Loli's father, Seferino, didn't know if his daughter was seeing the Virgin. Dr. Ricardo Punzanao relates what Seferino told him about his doubts. So this was an important neurosurgeon, I think, an uh, important witness of studied the girls. It was during the winter. There were no visitors in the village. There was a light snowstorm, and it was freezing cold. About three in the morning, I heard Maria Loli get up and get dressed. Where are you going now? The Virgin called me to the Quadro, where the first apparitions took place. You are crazy, being cold as it is. The Virgin called me to the Quadro. To see if a wolf will leap up at you? Do what you want, but your mother and I won't come with you. Loli finished dressing, opened the door of the house, and went to the Quadro, about a hundred meters away from their home. If I had been sure it was the Virgin, I would have... I wouldn't have left my bed. The Virgin would have taken care of her. But since we weren't sure, my wife and I got up and made our way to the Quadro. We found her in the middle of a snowstorm on her knees in a trance. It was hellish cold. Expecting to find her frozen, I chafed her cheeks. They were warm, as if she had never left the covers of her bed. Wow. Lowly overheard her father talking to visitors, uh, expressing his doubt that she was really seeing the Virgin, and even that she, wasn't, that she wasn't telling the truth, and even that she might be somewhat crazy. 
And that was a part of the suffering of Loli that was told by the Virgin that she would always suffer. Uh, to have to hear her own father <laughs> doubt that she was sane. Sure. That's in another part, yeah. It's my understanding that one of the Fatima visionaries, I think it was Lucia, that maybe her parents never became to believe that she saw the Blessed Virgin. So this isn't, a, this isn't something that isn't uncommon, I would say. Sometimes the parents readily believe, but lots of times even the clergy wouldn't believe the apparitions until something very compelling made them. So you talk about the doubt of Mari Lali's father about her visions and all of these things, which then I think that maybe begs the question, well, why do you believe and why do I believe in this phenomena and these apparitions and the message that Our Lady gave? Thank you for that question about apparitions, and I didn't know a whole lot about them and still don't, but I, since I've talked about it, I thought I better know something. I remember thinking apparitions, there's, there are always obstacles, obstacles to belief. And if there weren't obstacles, it wouldn't demand the belief to know it's true. And one of the obstacles, I think, uh, for me when I was young, Apparitions always took place a long, uh, a long distance away and a long time ago. And that's, oh, that's, that's an obstacle. Here it was the opposite. From my experience, it was too close to them. Uh, we know those girls. They're like all the rest. Why would God come to see them? A lady, one of my favorite parts, uh, was talking to a lady in a guest house down in Puente Nanza. And she started out, and I don't have time to look at it here. Uh, oh, you'll eat in the kitchen? Guests don't do that. They eat in the dining room. Well, I wanted to be there and talk to her. That's why I came here. And okay, and uh, in her small kitchen, she started to fry the fish and poured a glass of wine for me and one for her. She says, Garabandal won't end. This was 1971 or 72. 71. won't end now, but it's because of you foreigners. You're the ones who believe in it. We don't. We know their parents. We know those people. They're bad people just like us. That was the word she, she says. One of them, one of the fathers even owns a bar. Yeah. Well, she had a bar, a closed bar downstairs. It was too close to her. They couldn't. Uh, this was my opinion, and likewise with the people here. Uh, I know why I believe, uh, and it's not because I've spent five years in this area talking to people, know the visionaries, and impressed by them. Uh, heard Joey Lomangina talk and have him stay with my house uh, when he came across from New York to California. Uh, I'm certain this is a work of God because God has given me the grace to know. Faith is a gift, and God has given me that gift, not because I deserve it more than others, or um, just like God gives different gifts to different people. Um, and I'm sure of that. And I'm God can do anything he wants, the God that I know, and he can give me that gift of faith. That's my certainty. And before I talked about that, 
I wrote uh, a letter to the theology department of the University of Santa Clara uh, expressing that. I said uh, that my certainty that this is a work of God, knowing that in God among all, is of the same nature as his certainty about other religious truths. That is, God exists, that there is eternal life, and you know other. Father Tennant Wright, SJ, answering for the theology department of Santa Clara University, agreed without qualification. Father Kevin Joyce, PhD, Diocese of San Jose, said that, agreed also. I, I talked to him, I had written a letter to the Santa Clara Theology Department, said that the only, agreed, this Father Kevin Joyce, PhD, said that the only difference was that in the former case, new evidence could be found while in the latter not. In other words, new evidence could be found about apparitions, but not. Uh, and then I thought, uh, God can do anything. And I think I told you earlier about media, uh, the reaction of Josefa the bread seller. That was one of the times I realized, I can't understand this. My finite mind can't understand yeah. perfectly the supernatural. Uh, so I'm going to pray a lot and keep my eyes and ears open. And yeah. I... Yeah, for me, I just, you know, as I think about all the things that happened, that these girls heard this calling in their heart to go to the pines or whatever spot it was, that they ran there faster than anybody could, that they fell to their knees and they should have broken bones, that they had these trances, that Conchita had this miraculous experience of Holy Communion given to her by an angel. Like all of these things just tell me that like they can't make this up. This can't be manufactured. This has to have some origin beyond themselves that they're able to do that. Uh, yeah, but that's your reasoning. And, yes. and I, uh, yeah, that certainly helps. It, it, it makes it compelling, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I think my, my reason is stronger. And I, tell, I believe you. And I tell people uh, that say that don't. Don't believe this is supernatural. I feel my evidence is stronger. Uh, mine comes from God. And I, and I, I didn't read the last part uh, of that part here uh, where, I, where I talk about that. Uh, detractors accuse promoters of disobedience if they agree with the commission's evaluation. Uh, then I talk about the bishop. I think I... Uh, Detract, uh, detractors might be thinking of prudence when they accuse of disobedience of the bishop, as we don't agree with the bishop. Yes, one needs to be prudent about God of Undal, and in all matters, including rejecting it, and especially before speaking against it. All must seek the truth and not disseminate error. Those who say or write that the church judges that God of Undal is not supernatural are incorrect. They are teaching something that is, that is not true. They are very imprudent. If it is from God, you will, you will not be able to stop them, those who make known what they have seen and heard and felt. You may even find yourself fighting against God. As a child, I, I'm 
stuck in the third person in this appendix. Uh, as a child, Kelly learned God can neither deceive nor be deceived. He has done neither so far. I think, you know, the, the other factor, too, is if you simply go up to the pines and sit there in that spot, you sense the presence of God there. You sense that Mary was there. There's a peace which overcomes a person in that moment. It's a, it's a very peaceful place, I would say. So even from that, so you have lots of different. So, so you have kind of our faith that we give to it. You have the experience of it. You have compelling factors. All of these things, I think, can lead us to a point of saying, well, maybe I don't have doubts about this thing. And obviously, you don't have doubts about Garibandal because you have been uh, coming here for years. How many times have you been here in total? Do you know? Oh, 19 visits. 19 um, visits. Totaling five years. Is that what you I've said I'm in the area. Okay. Probably half of it in the village, the other half in other villages around it, or uh, at least in 72, I spent five, probably five months in Santander. The winters aren't nice here, and the people, if they can, the older people, will, will leave the village in the winter and, and live with the daughter or son oh, or, yeah. or something. Yeah. And I was the same. I, I spent, oh, and that. That time I got married in Santander in 73, you know. Hmm. And so I, I spent 10 months there then, yeah. and so, 15 months on another visit. So you've been here 19 times, yep. you said? So obviously something keeps calling you back to Garamandel. You love visiting this place. But then as an American, what you've done is you've written, you've written A Walk to Garamandel, a book available on Amazon that you could get there. You speak about Garamandel and you promote it. So why... Why do you feel compelled to do that? Oh, I know that I have a that God commands me to love my neighbor, and that means be concerned about my neighbor's happiness, and especially his eternal happiness here. Uh, is a her eternal happiness. If I'm not concerned about that, my inviting somebody to dinner or giving them a piece of salmon that I caught in the Pacific Ocean is small stuff. And the best way that I have of helping people get to heaven is telling them about Garabandal. Uh, tell the history. I, it's hard to, uh, for me and probably for most people, it's hard to tell people they're going the wrong way, whatever. Drinking too much, that's bad for their body, and if they drive, <laughs> possibly hurt or kill somebody, or somebody uh -huh. speaking, spending too much time with their neighbor's wife, and whatever. It's hard to tell them. <laughs> I just tell the story of Garabandal and and let God do the heavy lifting. Let the Holy Spirit uh, lead them to the right way. That's the best way I know of. And, and uh, I tell God if he wants me to s stop talking about God about all, to let me know. But if he doesn't tell me, I'm going to keep doing it. So you've been here to Garamendel, which is an apparition of Our Lady. Have you been to some of the other apparitions here in Europe, like Fatima or Lourdes or... Any, any other place? Uh, yes. 
I've been to Lourdes three or four times, um, invited there by others, or one trip I could hardly not go. Um, but that's it. I've never been very interested in apparitions. Uh, sure. I think my mother, my mother did tell us about Fatima. I listened, and uh, and her talk about Fatima, and, and her mother uh, lived pretty close to Knock Ireland and was a teenager, I believe, when that. Uh, oh. But I, that's about all I know about. Sure. Knock. Uh, and, it's Garibandel that has won your heart and a place that um, you just keep returning. Yeah, and. For kind of one of the, well, a couple reasons I'm not, I think as a Carmelite, we're taught not to be curious. And Conchita told us not to mix anything with Garabandal um, promoters, which I formed a Garabandal. When I started talking about it, a couple friends in Santa Clara County says, oh, this is important, we gotta get organized. So we did. We organized the Santa Clara Garabandal Association. And at one time, um, we had on our calendar 13 different presentations in a six-week six week period, mostly connected with parishes in the San Francisco area. And I, know, I knew, because I got to know priests, they didn't, they accepted me because I was an expert, so-called, on Garabandal. Wasn't somebody talking about a half a dozen apparitions. Sure, sure. I, that was, and, and groups that started mixing other, especially unapproved apparitions, started fighting and fell apart. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I know you mentioned yesterday, you know, some of them like Bayside or Nasita or we're things like popular. that. Yeah. We're popular. And so people want to like bring the two together. Ooh. But I don't think there's an issue maybe looking at Fatima and Garamandel. There are a lot of connections there. Um, the fact that Conchita's miracle is this communion, the visible communion, and the children receive communion from an angel. Uh, you have other aspects there yeah. that, that one could reflect on. So... Um, I just want to say one more thing before we follow up, and maybe I'll put this in, I'll insert it earlier in the conversation, but um, we talked a lot about Conchita and how she distanced herself from Garamandel. She didn't want to be the center of attraction, but she did for a little while. She went on some major talk shows in the United States, and she was a messenger of the Garamandel message. So it wasn't like she just went away yeah. forever. She did communicate it. Because I remember, I don't know if it was Johnny Carson or who it was on YouTube. You can watch it. You can watch Conchita share about Garamandel on live primetime television. It's incredible. Yeah, and another one, and I highly recommend it, the BBC award-winning documentary in 1980 or 81, Garabandal After the Visions. I love it. And it's a good way to, for people to get to know Conchita. Uh, when I think she was 31, it opens on Coney Island with her speaking bad English to her four little kids. I love it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll have to check it out. So... Do you know when you'll visit Garamandel next? No, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I know what I'm going to do next week. I'm fly <laughs> flying home from Madrid to, <laughs> to Sacramento. No. No. So you'll allow the Lord and Our Lady and the Holy Spirit to inspire you. 
What are your plans then for the future? Uh, will I be accused of proselytizing if I use the same words that Conchita used in answer to the interviewer in Garabandal after the visions? No. He asked a similar question, and she says, uh, how was I? I forget her question after I read that. Um, but she said, uh, I want to love God and do his will. Me too. Well, that's great. And as we love God and do his will, the message here of Our Lady of frequent visits to the Blessed Sacrament, of meditating on the Passion. All of these are vehicles that can get us to the Kingdom of Heaven. So, wonderful. Well, I appreciate our conversation today, Ed, and grateful to cross paths with you here in Garimbendal. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. I am honored by how many people listen to How They Love Mary. I hope that you'll continue to listen over the upcoming months as we continue to go through, lesson by lesson, my book, How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady. If you are touched by today's episode, consider sharing it on social media. And if you haven't already done so, please rate and review the podcast so that it might help others find it as well. Again, thanks so much for listening. Know of my prayers for you. Please pray for me. God bless you, and Mary intercede for you.